DiscerningHearts.com presents St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. Father Haggerty is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York who serves at St. Patrick's Cathedral. He taught moral theology and worked as a spiritual director in seminaries for 20 years. He has directed numerous yearly retreats for the missionaries of charity. He is the author of Contemplative Provocations, The Contemplative Hunger, Conversion, Contemplative Enigmas, and St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, the book on which this series is based. St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Haggerty. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me again. It's uh, just such a real blessing and quite honestly a delight to be able to speak to you about St. John of the Cross. And in particular, as you've brought him forward to us in St. John of the Cross, the Master of Contemplation. He has touched so many souls. And in our previous conversations, we talked about St. Therese of Lisieux and how she just was, I don't want to say enthralled because it seemed... It's something much deeper than that, but it had really, really penetrated her heart, didn't it? Well, St. Therese of Lisieux as a Carmelite, you know, we look to uh, St. John of the Cross as a father and more than just a spiritual guide, but, you know, someone she could confidently embrace in his teaching. And, And she was a good student and a good soul to receive him and there are some portions a couple of uh uh sections where she memorized we're told um whole paragraphs of john of the cross so yes and she's a good example of how saints are almost always influenced by other saints it's like a theology of saints i think and we'll find that in heaven god willing and no saint, in a sense, stands alone. They're always, they always will say, I think, that they had, you know, profound influences in their own life. And it makes, you know, we were saying this also, Mother Teresa, I don't know that she ever read St. John of the Cross very closely, perhaps some of his aphorisms and these things, but she's like a granddaughter of, St. John of the Cross, because St. Teresa of Lisieux influenced her so strongly. So there is this impact of saints upon saints in spiritual life that's so beautiful. And I think we all hope possibly to have this influence of these saints upon our own lives. It's an interesting image, possibly. I couldn't help but think of the soccer team where you, you have everybody's there and they just keep kicking that ball, keep passing it and keep moving towards that goal and helping one another to get down there. And that mean that in all reverence. I'm not trying to, to sound cute or anything, but it, it really can be in those engagements. It can be a struggle and you do need to have others to help you get there often, don't we? It's so true. And the, um, the effect of just an, an influence and the way that these saints, you know, assimilate to, you know, teachings that might have been, you know, from the fathers of the church. There are great people and in, in teachers. I remember in the seminary, one great teacher was so influenced by St. Augustine 
when you're talking about 16 centuries, you know, from and in, in the difference from them, but in the modern period, you know, people can be very affected and assimilate the teaching of someone in the current in their current circumstances. And I think that's a great need for all of us to take these influences. I mean, I may not live the life of Maximilian Kolbe, for instance, you know, dying as a martyr, but to look with an admiration and awe, you know, a gratitude toward these lives and then say, okay, I want a piece of that and something of that to, you know, penetrate my own life. And so reading, reading the saints being influenced by them, I think is a, is a, a serious aspect of a strong spiritual life. We should have good friends, you know, favorite friends among the saints. And for me, St. John of the Cross has been one of those people in my life. It's quite wonderful, just what you said, because there is another saint, one who uh, many of us have cried out the great in our modern times, in our day, and that's St. John Paul. Again, I mean, I'm a JP2 kid, as it were, and to be able to cry out John Paul the Great. But he, too, was one that was deeply affected by St. John of the Cross, so much so that he would end up writing, if, if I'm not mistaken, his doctoral dissertation on the faith according to St. John of the Cross. I, I mean, that's, wow, what a testament to have John Paul take so deeply, especially this aspect of the conversation that we're going to be talking about, the, the teachings of J John of the Cross, so deeply penetrating his life. It's so true. And uh, some people know that he lived in a parish where the Carmelites uh, were the friars of his, you know, his local parish. So he had even a childhood experience of the Carmelites and you know, the affection that a young person will have toward their first priest in their life. But he took it to, of course, another level. And that doctoral dissertation, Pope John Paul II, and as you mentioned, entitled, you know, Faith According to St. John of the Cross in its Ignatius Press title, that's a very deep work and, and long and very... Um, it's a bit erudite in its approach because he's using the, the teaching also of St. Thomas Aquinas, St. John of the Cross, and it's surprisingly a long work in the day when there was not computers. Sometimes dissertations were much smaller in those days. It's a profound work. He, he takes up a section in St. John of the Cross on faith in the second book of the Ascent of Mount Carmel that is not a long section, but I'd say 75% of the dissertation is zeroing in on that section. And it's a, it's a profound section of St. John of the Cross on the experiential effect of faith on our intellect and on our soul, you know, when we are growing in greater contemplative graces. So the effect of the theological virtue of faith on our intellect is a profound teaching in St. John of the Cross and something that really we need to, to know in our life of prayer if we are going to advance in prayer as we go on in life. Yeah, it shouldn't surprise us so yeah, in some ways because John Paul, I mean, this is 
of course, the great master who brought us the theology of the body and was very instrumental in the writing of Gaudium et Spes, one of the documents, the pastoral constitution on the church in our world today from Vatican II. And he was an incredible intellect. And yet, that engagement with John of the Cross, I mean, this is the whole, the dynamic, isn't it? It's, It's ironic, in some ways, that there would be so much about a part of our prayer that, help me, Father Haggerty, I mean, are we take the disposition of letting go in some ways and letting God be able to have his way with us in, in that dynamic of prayer. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And I think just to comment, too, on, on Pope John Paul, now St. John Paul II, that uh, he was part of the great, you know, effort to approach a more personalist engagement with our faith and with God. And one notion that, yes, it's there in St. John of the Cross and St. Thomas Aquinas also, is that we can think about our faith in the security of our belief. So we all pray the creed on a Sunday, pray the creed when we pray the rosary, And these are, you know, truths that we have conviction, firm, you know, absolute conviction of these truths of our faith. There's another element in faith, though, which is the impact, the manner in which it penetrates into our interior life and how it permeates, you know, soaks into the action of our intellect in engaging those truths. And John, John Paul II is one example, and, you know, the, you can have John Paul II, you can have a small little missionary of charity uh, who's not so educated, who are showing us that, you know, the real question of faith is not just that we have this confidence of believing, having the right belief. You know, we're Catholic, and we have been fortunate enough to have the correct truths of what of who God is. But there's another reality here, which is to enter into real experience of God. And not mystical, extraordinary experience, but the real experience of deep relationship with Him. And there, you know, the letting go, as you mentioned, the entry into God at deeper uh, levels is, you know, this is the life of prayer, and and it's a life of prayer that overflows then into every corner of our lives. Yeah, it is very beautiful, but also very mysterious. I, I have to say that John is trying to open up for us, and I, I think there was a line, well, I know there was a, a line in the book that really jumped for me. It helped to set my understanding. It really helped me. And it's when you had said that the result of deeper faith is not to see better, but to know more certainly. And I think that is really key, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a another line I, that I do um, value much in St. John of the Cross and I'm not sure I'm quoting it, you know, exactly, but um, more or less, you know, this is the statement that as faith advances, it intensifies certitude of what we believe. So, for 
since praying before a tabernacle, we know with certitude that he's there. So certitude, that knowing I am in the presence of truth. So as faith advances, it intensifies certitude, but it does not produce clarity in the intellect, but rather darkness. And what he means by that is we might expect that if we're growing in faith, if we're growing in prayer, that we actually are going to be expanding our capacity for more insight, that we receive more knowledge that's very particular. And, you know, we see more about Jesus, that we have more depth of understanding about the, the dogmas of the Incarnation or the Trinity or the Eucharist or the Marian doctrines, that we come to have a more active intellect enjoying, you know, an understanding in, in prayer. And he's saying actually something very different and important there, and that as we grow in faith, certitude, knowing we are in the presence of our Lord in truth, knowing his presence, you know, in a very real, certain manner, but it doesn't give clarity. It's the, as though it is as though the lights had turned off and we know we're in a room with someone. We know they're there, but we don't see them. And that kind of darkness of being in the presence of someone invisible increases then in prayer. Boy, that's the word, isn't it? Presence. I mean, that's, yeah. it, it comes right down to that. It, whether, you know, we hear it so often in our love, our desire to know more about the Blessed Sacrament, for example, and the real presence that he's there. But also in our life of prayer, as I'm hearing you, Father Haggerty, I mean, it's even more than, it goes beyond to even more than that, that he's present, the presence of God is everywhere and, and even inside of me. I mean, is, is that too simple of a way of looking at it? I mean, that's right on target. And, and as we talked about that in that first segment a bit, that John of the Cross will be teaching and reminding because it's there in the gospel also in chapter 14 of John that we do have the privilege of God's indwelling in our soul. And that's not just a kind of general you know, statement that we all have God in us, but that God's relations with us becomes more intensified. <clears throat> We're drawn into greater depth of his presence within us as we grow in any kind of union with him. And that's going to impact prayer a great deal. And, and again, what we just were talking about with certitude and, and clarity and the reality of God's presence, you know, his real reality within us, you know, there for our adoration and he's there as the other. It's an important thing to be to be conscious of that in prayer because all have the experience of our own self-consciousness. You know, we have an inner life within us. And it's not a question in prayer of plunging into our inner life, but being aware that within our inner life is the other. You know, he's there. And it's not our consciousness that we're exploring or plunging into, 
but that the reality of him being there, you know, as the other to be adored other than ourself. And, you know, that reality is a, is a key element in prayer that we're not, you know, we're not praying to a God on the other side of the clouds. Even in the presence of the Eucharist in a monstrance or a tabernacle, we're not just praying to him over there, you know, how many feet away from us, that he is capable of a communication to us within our inner being because that real presence of the indwelling presence is very alive, you know, within us when we're in a state of grace. We'll return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation with Father Donald Haggerty in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. The two things that come forward for me in some ways is that there is, as you said, that the presence is there, but also the communication, the communion. And oftentimes, as we're beginning our prayer, we are, and we've heard this from Teresa of Avila, speak to him as a friend. Bring, and before the presence, bring to your friend, I'm paraphrasing her, but bring your cares, your concerns, the things that are on your heart. But then there's a, in that communion, in that communication, there's also that need to listen or just to be present, isn't there? I mean, there's that two-way street in that communion of communication. Yes, that's right. And, you know, prayer is a, you know, it's a turning toward another. And, and as you, you know, have just said, the you know, there is a, an exchange that can take place in prayer, but often it's an exchange, you know, almost all, all the time, that's an exchange in mystery. And, you know, danger can be that, uh, and I think almost everyone will have this experience in the course of their life, maybe more early on in prayer, that the danger can be to make of that exchange an imaginative activity of some kind. So it's very possible to not play a game, that would be not the right phrase for it, but to make up, you know, our own imaginative exchange with our Lord. So I, I can know what I say to him, you know, because I can say it, Lord, you are everything to me. 
I belong to you, I love you, I adore you. I can know what I would say to him, but in fact, I don't know really what he's going to say in return to me. And that element of transcendent mystery of God, and I know that he's there, I have that certitude, I know his gaze is upon me in that time of prayer, I know that, you know, his look of love is very real there, but I don't know what he's going to say to me. So sometimes that that receptivity, that's a hard task to learn over time, to be receptive to him in silence, not expecting a, a particular communication from him. That's why using the scripture is helpful, too, because if we take words of the, of the gospel, every day, you know, at least in the beginning of prayer, and we listen to words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, and then we realize that, you know, the one speaking those words in the gospel 2,000 years ago is God, and God is not, you know, limited by time. So the words that he spoke to Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethany or to Peter or to John that those words that he spoke then are very capable of being his words in the present moment to our own heart and soul and letting that draw us out in a time of prayer that I really do believe, you know, that you you are speaking this, these words to me now, you know, using the words of the gospel in that fashion. Sometimes there are good examples of that, when Jesus was going to wash the feet of the apostles and he came to Peter and Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said this phrase, you do not know now what I am doing. Later you will understand. That's a very great sentence in the gospel because yes, it has its, points, you know, that Jesus is making in that moment at the Last Supper. But that sentence can be lifted off the page and heard many times, perhaps, in a life. We can listen to him speak those words to us in many difficult circumstances in life. You do not know now what I am doing. Later, you will understand. And this is really what we, what we want in prayer, that Something of a communication of him is taking place, you know, crossing, you know, some barrier within us, you know, piercing us, penetrating us in some manner. And some days that's possible, some days not so easy. But as you said, there is an exchange, a communication taking place in that time that we know that his presence is there in some very real and profound way. Well, you touched on such an important point. I mean, especially when we take time with the scriptures, the sacred scriptures. There's a reason why they're sacred. There's a transcendence, isn't there? Uh, Unlike a lot of beautiful, holy writing, even St. John of the Cross, it isn't the same, though it's beautiful and we lift it up and the church lifts it up, but it's just not the same, as you said, of that transcendent word, is it? 
Yeah, I think the I think relying on the scripture, we call this the word of God, and that's not just a figurative statement. I mean, many people have had the experience where they open up the scripture or open up the gospel, you know, to see what verse, you know, catches their eye. And sometimes that is, you know, if we said a prayer beforehand, sometimes that is something that God wants us to hear in that moment. And, you know, living faith in that, in that deeper manner is, is an important part of prayer. Here comes the struggle. This is where it becomes difficult because it, you just said it. If it's what God wants to communicate to us, not what we may want. You know, we have natural human desires and hopes, I think, sometimes. And in prayer, we would love to be able to continually experience consolation or maybe even something more extraordinary, something we may have gotten a glimpse, a, a light or a ping at some point in previous prayer that we want to continue to have because it brought such a, uh, a feeling upon us. And St. John would say, well, watch out. This is not something, be careful because now you're going down a path, you're kind of veering off of where maybe the Lord is trying to lead you. Well, John of the Cross is, you know, again, he's trying to um, instruct also what happens to uh, the life of prayer and what will take place for the soul, for that person, as they cross, you know, thresholds of spiritual life. And it is a threshold. It's a pro- It's a a key, um, you know, point of advancement. It doesn't mean high, high level holiness, but it's a key transition time when a person crosses the threshold into contemplative graces. And in other words, their prayer becomes contemplative prayer, at least in its beginnings. And it's that, you know, transition that John of the Cross will address, you know, a, a, a few times in his writings in very detailed ways and in which we do have to be careful then to, to, you know, in some manner we're all going to struggle in that and initially at least, which is why St. John of the Cross is important to have as an instructor, but there is going to be a shift in the experience of inner prayer then prior to that, you know, I think it's a, you know, it's a good thing, you know, that we're reading the scripture, we're reading the gospel a lot, if possible, that we're trying to get to know our Lord Jesus Christ well, and that we're trying to grow in love for him in the Eucharist, and that we can be more free, in a way, in our approach to him. But John of the Cross is addressing, you know, he want, he's writing to people who are serious, you know, about the desire for union with God. So that if we do want, you know, a, a really an advancement in our life spiritually and we want holiness as we should, then it's very likely if other conditions are met that we're going to have this experience of crossing a threshold into contemplative graces. And then faith is going to have this different impact on the inner life of prayer. So that, as you were just suggesting there, I mean, consolations are not just in the feelings. It can be consolations in our insights in prayer, that we see things that we didn't see before. 
or that we get a different view, you know, of our Lord in some way. His personality may becomes becomes more alive because of a scene in the gospel, or we see something about him that was different. And we should, you know, look for those things certainly in our prayer. But if we grow and cross that threshold, it may be that those things become more silenced in prayer, that we don't try to do that, but the impact of contemplative grace is to put a kind of cloud. We become overshadowed in some manner, and the, the brightness of those earlier insights can fade in prayer. And it's not a bad thing that's happening in prayer. It's part of this entry more deeply into the mystery of God, a mystery which is still, you know, his very personal presence in the time of prayer. It can be very uh, confusing, Father Haggerty, that there is, say, someone who has had a, a wonderful devotion to the rosary, and they are praying in a way in which each mystery, they receive it, they, they in their mind, in their heart, they can see, they actively participate in what's happening in the prayer and offering it up. But then there comes that moment where something changes. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but something affects them in a way that can be kind of a puzzlement, maybe. And I'm not necessarily speaking of the discouragement of the enemy to stop stop you from the practice, but it's more of a, I don't experience this like I used to. There's something different. Something's changing. It, does that seem like a, a real experience that some may have? Well, certainly the, um, the rosary would be a good example. You know, any type of meditative prayer and, you know, the rosary as we're taught it, you know, can be done as a meditation on each of the mysteries of the rosary. And it can be that as we're growing in prayer, that there can be a certain simplifying of the prayer that we're not actually choosing, but it's happening to us. So that it depends on days. And sometimes we may be able to do something a little more vividly as we pray the rosary. But we may find as the years go on, if we're very you know, committed in prayer, and we're taking up silent prayer in our lives, that the rosary itself becomes more simple, not because we're choosing to make it simple, but the intellect itself is becoming more simple, more childlike in a way as it prays the rosary. So the words, for instance, said to Mary may hold our attention more than, you know, a picturing in some manner Mary at the Annunciation. The fiat of Mary, you know, let it be done to me according to your word. It might be that little phrase, let it be done, you know, becomes more of a, a steady, you know, fixed, you know, notion there when we're praying the rosary. But I, I think it's, it's consistent with what happens when people are becoming holy. They become more simple, you know, not simple intellectually necessarily, but they, their, their simplicity becomes more real in, in life. They don't have so many things that they're looking for because they have found the one thing needful. And that affects probably everything. So praying the rosary becomes a more simple act, but more full of love. 
You've been listening to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. This series is based on the book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, published by Ignatius Press. Visit ignatius.com to obtain a copy, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty.